Bible. I hope you have one and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 17. Beginning in verse 8 is where we pick up the story of Elijah's life and ministry tonight. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, feel free to use one of the chairback Bibles there in front of you. You'll find uh, the text on page 299. And we'll, we'll look at verse 8 through the end of the chapter together tonight there in chapter 17, which really represents two scenes that I trust we'll see soon enough are united in really the point the Lord means to make for us. But uh, let me go ahead and begin our reading in verse 8 and take it through the end of the chapter and pray for God's blessing on our study and then we'll begin together. So listen once again, for the Lord is indeed speaking through his perfect word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her in his arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again. Father, we ask that you would speak to us tonight. We, your servants, are listening. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. That we might not only hear this word, that we might keep it. That we might do it, that we might find its blessing as you have promised. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
If you've ever had the occasion to meet my wife for the first time and ask some of those questions that we often ask each other when we meet people for the first time and ask Emily where she grew up, she tends to give something of an enigmatic answer, West Africa. And as the story continues and you get to know her, you find out that she grew up on the mission field in Nigeria being a, a child of missionary kids. And when I first started dating Emily and, of course, eventually married into the family, there were a number of different missionary stories that she and her family would tell and tell somewhat regularly. And there's one story, perhaps, in all the years that I have known the family that has been told most often, and it all deals with a grocery store. My mother-in-law loves to tell it most is that when she and the family came back stateside one year, they took my wife and her brother, so my brother-in-law, uh, the two Hodges children, to a grocery store. And she loves to tell the story about how their faces were filled in utter wonder walking into that grocery store. And as they came down one particular aisle, there was just amazement that struck them all the way through. For what they were familiar with was a store back in Nigeria where you might have a couple boxes of cereal available. And here in the American store, or boxes of cereal, as far as the eye could see, it was this abundant and amazing provision that brought wonder to the face. And in so many ways, what this section of 1 Kings 17 is meant to do to us tonight, I trust in the Lord's kindness, is to fill our faces with wonder at God's abundant and amazing provision for his servant, Elijah. Because if you were with us last week, we introduced ourselves to this man, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe, in the first seven verses. Uh, we found out that he was called of God in a particular moment in Israel's history when all was bleak and all was dark. We said that the royal family of Ahab and Jezebel, they had sold their soul to the devil. Such was the bleakness and blackness of the land and its spirituality. And so Elijah shows up and he preaches a sermon to Ahab, which is a confrontational sermon. It's full of covenant curses where he simply says, according to the Lord's word, there's going to be drought. No rain, no dew in the land until the Lord says so. And then what we saw is almost immediately, it seems like the Lord's word came to Elijah again. And he said him, he told Elijah to go off into this distant area in sit, hide out really by this brook, Kerith. And it was there that we heard that the Lord was going to provide for his servant through these unclean birds Ravens showing up with a meal of meat in the morning, a meal of meat in the evening. But, but recognize that Elijah had declared drought on land. So as we left off last week, we found out that eventually, verse 7, the brook dried up. And as the New Testament speaks about Elijah, it speaks about a man who has natural passions like us. He had a nature like ours. And I've often wondered as he sat there by the brook for, for many, many months, surely before his very eyes, he's watching this brook dry up week after week, month after month. And it's here that the Lord has situated him. Not only was it a sign judgment upon Israel because the word of the Lord had departed from the land, it surely was also a way in which God was meaning to protect his prophet because Queen Jezebel ever vicious and violent, had decreed a holocaust upon the Lord's prophets. She wanted them all dead. So Elijah's hiding out by this brook, and he's watching in real time. It start to dry up. 
And it was a test, certainly, of his faith in the Lord's provision, wasn't it? Because the Lord said, go there. And I'm going to provide for you there. And then guess what happens? There. Water continues to disappear. And isn't it true that in our life in Christ, one of the first lessons that we have to learn, and children understand it's a lesson from which we never graduate, is, is trust and belief and what God says is true about his very character, that he is indeed Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who provides for his people. His promise to provide for Elijah. And so often we may not doubt it, that the Lord will provide, but we wonder exactly how he's going to do it. And what I want to show you from our two scenes tonight, there are four different truths about the Lord's provision. The first of which is this. It's provision that secures, provision that secures. Because notice again, verse eight, the brooks dried up, the Lord says to Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now students, when you come across these geographic markers in the Old Testament, uh, sometimes it's not always clear what exactly those geographic markers communicate. Uh, what you need to know about these geographic markers Zarephath, which is in the land of Sidon, is the Lord, in a genuine way, is calling his servant to go into the belly of the beast, to go into occupied territory. As one of my favorite commentators says, he's calling him to go to Balesville in Gentile land. And the reason he says that is because if you flip back to the end of chapter 16, where we're introduced to this wicked ruler Ahab, if you look at verse 31, his wife's name there in the middle of verse 31 is Jezebel. And she's the daughter of Ethbael, who is the king of the Sidonians. So he's meant to go into the heartland of Ahab's father-in-law, of Jezebel's daddy. It's right there where the Lord says, I'm going to provide for you next. There was a distance probably of something like 75 miles. The distance was great. Certainly the danger was great. There were execution orders out for this man named Elijah as he was a prophet of God. And you'll see what happens in verse 10. He arose and went to Zarephath and he came to the gate of the city. And if you just pause right there, what you need to know is the Lord's provision secures. God got him safely to where he said he must go. Is outside of the promised land, and he still is secure all the way through. And this was a book, First Kings, that was originally written to exiles in Babylon in the 6th century B.C. And you can trust that this would have been an encouragement to them, as they too are living outside of the promised land, to realize, of course, the pagan gods of the nations, like Baal in Sidon, they're nothing more than vain idols, lifeless images, there's one God who alone is living. There's one God alone who is active. There's one God alone who is powerful and trustworthy. His name is Yahweh. And he secures his servants. You know, children, there might come a time in your life, if you love the Lord and follow him faithfully, that he might call you to a great distance. He might call you even to great danger. But if he's called you, to such a place. You can trust that he'll secure your passage there. So it's provision that secures. And notice also, secondly, it's provision that surprises. Because he said in verse 9, a, a widow is going to feed you. 
And look at the middle of verse 10. A widow was there gathering sticks. And I love these little words that sometimes you find in the Old Testament in these situations of God's providence. He comes in to Zarephath. He arrives safely and securely at the city gate. And it's got this tone, doesn't it, of behold. There just so happened at that very moment to be a widow gathering sticks. It just so happened at that very moment the widow that God is going to provide for his servant through arrives. Now you need to know that God's provision, his agents of provision in this passage are altogether shocking and surprising. We mentioned it last week with the ravens. They're birds who are unclean according to Old Testament law. Here's now a widow. Widows in the ancient world were, of course, almost entirely dependent on anyone's kindness to survive. It was quite difficult. Often widows wouldn't be able to make it on their own. And here is a widow. If you notice the text as it continues, she says, well, I'm gathering these sticks because I'm making the last meal before my son and I are going to die. Such is the lack of provision she has. And what does Elijah do? But say, give me something to eat and give me something to drink. Because look at verse 11. After saying, bring me a little water, he says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she shares the news that she has nothing left. But Elijah, just as we saw him in the first scene of chapter 17, he's full of obedience, earnestness, and dependence upon God's word. He says in verse 13, notice into 14, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself. For Yahweh has promised, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Here is Elijah taking God at his word. Here is Elijah telling another person, a poor widow, utterly destitute and almost dying. You too can take the Lord at his word, is what he says. Last week, I heard from a ministerial friend I did that he was remarking about uh, an old Scottish preacher named Robert Bruce. He was very influential and meaningful in uh, my friend's life. And uh, Robert Bruce, as the story goes, awoke one morning when he was very aged. Uh, kids, he was blind by this point in his old age. He, he woke one morning at the breakfast table, had something of a, a spiritual premonition that he was going to die that day. He, one of his daughters was taking care of him at the time, and, and he asked her to pull out the Bible and read Romans chapter 8. So she began to read Romans chapter 8, and as she came to the closing paragraph of, of Romans 8, he began to recite it out loud from memory as she was reading Romans 8. And once she was done, he said, take my finger and put it on that line, that line in Romans 8, for I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Even death cannot separate us. She took his finger and placed it right there on the line. And he said, in this word do I trust. In this word do I die. He staked everything on the trustworthiness of God's word. And here's Elijah staking not only everything in his life, but everything in a widow's family on the trustworthiness of God's word. I wonder if your own life this week has shown something of 
that reliance and dependence on the truths of God's promise. It's surprising provision because when you really think about it, what the Lord is doing in these early scenes here in chapter 17, he's providing for Elijah through scavengers. What are ravens but scavenging birds? He meets this woman at the city gate of Zarephath. She's scavenging about for sticks. Yet these scavengers are going to provide a full supply. And that's the third truth I want you to see, even from this passage, is that it's provision that supplies. Because verse 15, she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. Verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the Lord's word. Day by day, they woke up each morning to, almost as it were, their family manna. Every single morning, there was new mercy for them to receive. The Lord had provided for them in every way. And there was a time in Jesus' life and ministry where he was preaching one Sabbath day in a synagogue. And people, as they often did in Jesus' life and ministry, they rejected him, the Jews. And so he told the story right here from our text tonight about the Lord sending his prophet Elijah to the widow in Zarephath. And what Jesus says is, there were countless widows in Israel at the time, but the Lord passed them by and sent him to a Gentile widow, which stirred up all kinds of animosity with the Jews. So the point even here in the Lord's provision that supplies is that even something again of a, of a sign judgment upon Israel, that his favor has passed over the people in the promised land. It's favor that belongs to those from all nations. And students, what you need to realize even with this provision that supplies is the Lord has superabundant power, which means this, if you put it in contemporary terms. He could have told Elijah to go to this widow's house and the Lord could have promised that every single morning the fridge would be overflowing in its fullness of food. The pantry would never be lacking for a bursting amount of pancakes. But he gives them what? Just enough for what they need that day. Have you ever considered that it seems in God's providential wisdom, that's what he does with us? Just enough for that day. If he gave us a month's worth, a year's worth, a decade's worth, which he could do, don't you think we'd be tempted to forget God in the midst of our need? And we'd have it all before us right now, so why would we begin to depend daily upon God? Maybe you're even sitting here tonight wondering where tomorrow's daily bread will come from. Well, you can trust in the Lord's provision, his promise to supply what you need, and never think it small of God to provide just what you need even though he could provide much more. And he provides much more in the fourth point that I want you to see in the second scene, which is that it's provision that saves. We're told in verse 17 that some indeterminate amount of time passes. The mistress of the home, this, this widow, has a son and he becomes ill. And you'll see that he dies in verse 17. And look what she says to Elijah in verse 18. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. I've had the occasion many times over the life of my ministry to reflect on a principle that seems to be quite illustrated here in verse 18. 
is that so often time disappointment in someone's life over a decision of a leader in their life generates distrust and dislike of that leader. When the leader disappoints you, so often people are tempted to just start to dislike the leader, distrust the leader. She's disappointed here in Elijah. And what does she begin to do? Accuse him of things, of course, that he's not responsible for. So often it's a normal sweep of things in the life of the church. Leaders even can make decisions that disappoint you. Satan wants to tempt you to now, that's proof positive you can distrust your leadership. Or maybe it's the Lord is doing something different than you could possibly imagine. Maybe the Lord is doing something that you need to understand in its fullness is much wiser than you could have possibly considered. Because Elijah knows that soft words turn away wrath, doesn't he? Look at verse 19, what does he say? He doesn't offer a rational argument. He simply says, give me your son. So kids, you can picture the scene there. We don't know how old this young boy is. Clearly, he's young enough, small enough for Elijah to carry him upstairs to the upper chamber. Uh, Elijah lays him down on his bed. And then Elijah begins to pray. And look what he cries out to the Lord in verse 20 and 21. Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. I want you to see something about the depth of Elijah's faith, the depth of Elijah's knowledge of God's character. Because even if you see there again in verse 20, he, he amplifies the reality, calamity, even upon this widow. He knows that God is the God who cares for orphans and widows in their distress. That's who God is. He knows God's reputation is here at stake in Zarephath. This is not what you do, God, is what he's saying. And, and further, what he's saying in the depth of his faith is he's asking God to do that which is impossible. Let this child be resurrected. Do you know what comes is the very first resurrection in all the Bible? Elijah has never heard of a story of God resurrecting anybody in Israel's life and experience. But what does he know? God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or think according to the power that work within us. God can do the impossible. And he does the impossible. Notice verse 22. The Lord listened. To the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. I love that phrase, and I hope you do too. The Lord listened to Elijah's voice. Parents, don't you want that to be true about your prayer life for your children? The Lord listened to my voice. And don't you want to be a church that can genuinely say, in so many ways, the Lord listened to this congregation's voice in prayer. That it would be true that this would be a place known of praying prayers saturated with the fullness of God's character, the fullness of God's ways, the fullness of God's promises with deep faith saying, you can do it. I know nobody thinks you can, Lord, but you can do it and you must do it. He listened and brought revival. And so he brings the son down, verse 23 at the end. He says, see, your son lives. It's provision that saves. There's a time in 
at Jesus' life also, where he traveled to a town called Nain. As he got to the city gate, the story goes, he noticed there was this immense crowd. They were right at the city gate, and he soon saw this group of men carrying a beer. B-I-E-R, students. That's a simple way of saying this portable platform on which a dead person lays. He gets closer, and what does he discover? That a widow has lost her only son to death. And the text tells us with compassion, he, he draws near to that child and says, Child, arise. Whereas Elijah, he had to pray for resurrection. What does Jesus do? He commands resurrection because he is the resurrection, the life. And I hope you know that that gospel, that good news of resurrection, that gospel, that good news of new life is, is the guarantee of God's promise towards us, the sufficiency and sovereignty that he's promised to us in Jesus Christ. You can stake your life on it because his son has been raised. And what does she do? Verse 24 in our text, the widow says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. If you come to Christ Jesus, he who is the risen, resurrected king that is God's provision for sinners like you and me, if you come to him and see blood on a cross spilled for you, a grave empty for you, what can you say? Now I know. There is provision that secures. Now I know. There's provision that surprises. Now I know. There's provision supplies provision that saves because this is who God is for his people he is the God who provides let's pray together uh, father we do simply ask unto you this night that you would impress upon our hearts and that promise that you have uttered unto us in your word to meet our every need according to your riches of grace, that abundant eternal supply that is ours in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.